0: I'm going to be reading from Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 13, 14, and 15. I invite you to have your Bibles open to that scripture. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. The word of God for us, may he bless it to our understanding. You may be seated. When I was uh, studying for my bachelor's degree in English education, uh, there was a particular education professor that told the class one day, uh, she said, here's a, a good way to look like a good teacher To all those parents back home, at the end of each day, you review with the kids what you studied that day, and you say, now, children, what have we learned? And so they go home at the end of class, and when their parents say, what would you learn at school today, it'll be fresher on their mind. Don't know if that ever really works, but that was uh, her suggestion. And so I want to be a good teacher and preacher, so I want to review with you the ground that we've covered in this sermon series on Resetting Life's Compass. It's been an important series. We started it the first Sunday of the new year because we were hungry to do better. We were hungry to get our lives organized, to, uh, to get uh, that sense of direction and priorities and purpose, and uh, at times feeling unmanageable. Uh, we wanted uh, to find God's direction and God's management. So uh, we talked on January 4th about creating margins in our lives, creating space for rest and time and relationships. We talked the next Sunday about establishing priorities. Not everything can be priority number one, and how do we we find that compass setting uh, for the appropriate priorities? Managing the clock. Uh, Time is always uh, a huge consideration. And then we looked on January 25th at investing wisely, pouring our lives into things that matter and things that count. And then in February, we sort of shifted. Remember we talked about, Uh, We cannot simply focus on self-care because if we're not careful, self-care will turn into selfish care, that there's a larger dimension to setting life's compass than just Jesus and me doing something on a private island somewhere. It's about relationships. And so the last three sermons are about that relationship network. And so demanding justice is a compass setting that we need to establish for others, for those who are struggling and suffering. Becoming Christ's community is what we talked about last Sunday. And then this morning, we're going to be talking in conclusion about cleaning up relationships. I'm convinced that we really can't get a, a true north compass heading for our lives. We we can't really get going in the right direction if we leave out this important piece of getting our relationships with others right. And And so many times, wrong relationships keep us uh, from from... Uh, the proper course, no matter what else we do. And frankly, selfishness and pride are at the very center of most of our struggling and fractured relationship. You will notice in verse 13 of the Galatians 5 text, the Apostle Paul said, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. The Apostle Paul knew the devastating power of selfishness And pride. Let me remind you of a couple of things about the Galatian churches and some of their struggles. They were caught in a a nasty cycle of legalism. Uh, There was a sort of a fundamentalism that was afoot uh, in that particular region of churches, uh, and everything became legalistic rule keeping a, a list of do's and don'ts, ceremonies to keep, all external, none of it internal based on love, but external. Based on rules, so that what happened was um, all of the Galatian focus for at least as, as far as Paul was concerned, seemed to be a, a sort of harsh judgmentalism, it seemed to be a uh, legalism, and that turned into a very severe hypercritical spirit of other people and so what happened as you read through the Galatian correspondence uh, is that relationships were based on fear instead of trust. Relationships were based on controlling the other person instead of on mutual self-giving. And relationships were based on the differences between people as opposed to focusing on those things they shared in common. So, a short version of that is to say that, that the Galatians went around, and the only time they, they walked around and the only time they felt good about themselves was when they were feeling badly about somebody else. Do you know, do you know followers of Jesus like that? It's all external, it's all judgmentalism, and the only time they can feel good about uh, themselves is when they're putting somebody else down. And, and maybe that's a, a trap you've been caught in. But that's, that's some of that relationship gunk that was going on uh, with the Galatian believers, and Paul wanted to address it. The flip side of that is, if pride and selfishness are the things that destroy healthy relationships, then love and humility are those things that nourish healthy relationships. And so in the second part of verse 13, he says, after he said, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for selfishness, but through love become slaves to one another. Uh, The literal Greek uh, has a a sense of a present tense verb with continuing action so that it actually says, keep on serving one another, keep on being servants to one another continually. So it's not a one-time act. It's not a one-time thing. It's to continually serve one another. Here's a question I have for you based on that. And it's a very honest question that I hope you'll reflect on before you answer too reflexively uh, and too quickly. Is the Christian life love optional? Is the way of Jesus love optional? Do we have the option as followers of Christ of saying, I really like this part of following Jesus, all this grace and mercy he gives me, all this energy to live in a new direction and in a new way. All this hope he gives me. I really like those parts, but I, I really don't want to love everybody. So I'm going to leave that out. I mean, is the way of Jesus love optional? Do we have a choice like whether you want cheese on your sandwich today? Or whether you want a sunroof on the car you buy? Is it really an option? It's not. You know the answer to that, right? It's not. Because in verse 14, the Apostle Paul quotes a very important verse. He says, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. And, and, I, and I really like the translations that say the whole law is fulfilled because summed up makes it sound like sort of a mathematical column. But, but the word is literally, the whole law is filled to the brim. The whole law is, is filled to bursting and running over with this one command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, the way I know that this is a true north compass setting for our lives, the way I know that this is so important, if we're going to get our lives going in a healthy direction, is because the number of times that this verse is quoted in the Bible. And I'm I'm going to show you, we're going to take some time on the screen... And we're going to show you in Leviticus 19, 18, that's where we first see it. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Then uh, we see uh, in three in a row, the gospels record Jesus quoting this. He's asked what the greatest commandment is. He says, the greatest is the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the... That's the first time it's repeated. Uh, Mark 12, 31, a different version of that. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then the Luke version of that. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, before we leave, let's go back to the Luke one. Sorry, Uh, uh, go back to the Luke scripture if you can. Before we leave that, I want you to remember that Luke has this right before the story of the Good Samaritan because somebody thought they could trip Jesus up and say, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered with that story of the Good Samaritan and said, well, the neighbor, is anybody in need? And by the way, the neighbor is the foreign person whom you don't want to love, the person with whom you have lots of disagreements. And so... Loving your neighbor as yourself is a much bigger command than what you might think. Now let's go ahead and to the next one, the Romans. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling, the filling full of the law. And then James the the last one, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture. Here it's called the royal law of Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now by my count, these Scriptures plus the Galatian text that I read this morning, that's seven times in the Bible that that word is shared, that commandment is shared. That would seem to me to be an important, urgent truth and a guiding point, a true north direction for us to walk in all of our relationship. Paul says it's summed up this the whole law. This is the royal law. You know, we sometimes call the Ten Commandments the Decalogue. The word Decalogue actually means ten words. T.W. Manson has said here is the one word, the monologue, love. You don't even need ten words, decalogue. All you need is monologue, one word, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in all of Scripture is summarized by this command. I I really don't know how else to underscore and highlight this truth anymore, how central, how absolutely central it is in everything. Now, being the good teacher, the Apostle Paul wants us to have a sober reflection on the alternative to love. If we fail to love, Paul says there is is an alternative, there is a default in verse 15. If, however, if if we don't live love for neighbor, if, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another, sobering words about the alternative to love. If you don't love, you bite and devour each other and end up consuming each other, the Apostle Paul says we become like a pack of wild animals that cannibalize. A pack of wild animals that devour one another. I mean, all we have to do is listen to the news to see what this world becomes without love. The genocide, the the ethnic and racial hatred the spewing of, of ugly words to one another, the, the violence and the murders and the, the wars and the carnage and the uh, abuse of, of women and, and children and, and on and on and on we could go. But there's a personal side to that too. It's so easy to keep all that stuff at a distance. What about the violence in our own hearts? What about the stuff that's there? What about this past week? That vitriol that has bubbled up inside your own heart, that bitterness, that anger, that rage, that hatred, that lack of love. What about that stuff that's spewed out of your mouth this week that, that should not have, that, that is not the Jesus way, that actually contributes to the, to the biting and the devouring of one another rather than the building up of one another? I mean, it's so easy for it to bubble up and spill out. I heard a great story about a dad who decided to take his nine-year-old boy on a guy's vacation, and they went to the Grand Canyon. And it was just the dad and his nine-year-old son, and uh, they spent the better part of a day walking the rim, uh, the breathtaking views, the, the incredible scenery, that huge chasm, just taking it all in. The end of the day, uh, they called back home to report to mom, and the dad was talking and he was using all kinds of beautiful adjectives to talk about uh, how breathtaking it was, how, how, uh, how incredibly powerful the, the, the experience was, and he did all of his adult things. And finally he said, son, you want to say anything? A little boy took the phone and he said, Mom, I spit a mile today. I spit a whole mile. And you know, I've watched a. a twisted thing happen in our culture, it's almost like we make a virtue of how far we can spit. It's almost like we make a virtue of how badly we can wound someone else or tell somebody off on social media or put someone in her place as if that's a virtue. In the Bible I read, the followers of Jesus should not be following culture's way of relationships the followers of Jesus should be setting a new path for the way of Jesus and the way to love. We should be setting a new standard, not, not mimicking what's around us. The exclusion and the categories and the hatred. John Claypool said some really good words uh, about love and about relationships. Do we have that quote up, John Claypool? Our choice is never between pain and no pain. It's between the pain of loving and the pain of not loving. And only the pain of loving holds any hope for the future. We don't get to choose whether we get hurt in life. We just get to choose whether we're going to love. And and that is the only hope. That seems to me to be a compass setting. A way to do life. A man told me once about a a Sunday dinner at his home. He said... uh, They'd gotten home from church, and there was a multi-generation family dinner, and everybody was bustling around to get the meal on the table, get the rolls in the oven for the last minute uh, preparation, getting ice in the glasses and pouring the iced tea, and everybody was scurrying around, and this little preschool granddaughter uh, stopped her grandma and said, Grandma, I need somebody to hold me, and everybody else is too busy. And I thought a lot about that story that that man told me. That's where we started this series. Too busy, remember? Too busy. We talked about calendars, we talked about clocks, we talked about priorities, we talked about margins, we talked about all those things so that we could free ourselves up to really live, to really live for the things that matter. And so too busy to hold someone else is too busy, isn't it? Too busy to let Jesus love us is too busy. Too busy to invest in the family of God is too busy. Too busy to follow Jesus is too busy. And too busy to love is just plain too busy. Let's bow our heads together. As we pause in God's presence, we simply want to respond to the Holy Spirit's uh, impulses. In a moment, we'll have a time where we stand and have a response time. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, ready to give your life to Him, We'll be here at the front to pray with you and to help you, to assist you any way we can. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe God's calling you to work on a particular relationship. You want to just come and pray. You're welcome to do that. But, but many things right where we stand, uh, just make a decision about a new direction, a direction and a way of love. So we invite you to just prepare your heart and just be willing to say yes to the Spirit. willing to say, I give my life to you, God. You manage it. You set the course. I'll follow. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer, for being among us as we reflect and listen. Guide our spirits. In Christ we pray. Amen.